This is a recording of The Small Voice by Daniel C. Peterson, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, read by Richard Fligger. Abstract Revelation comes in various forms, some of them spectacular, and some of them extremely subtle. The scriptures and the history of the Restoration offer numerous examples across the entire spectrum. Whatever its form, however, divine revelation remains divine revelation, and it is the avowed mission of the Interpreter Foundation to thoughtfully ponder such revelation, to try to explicate its meaning, and to illustrate its richness. In turn, such examination can itself provide an opportunity for personal revelation, both for the examiners and, we hope, for those who read or hear the results of their work. Intertextuality is a fancy word that many contemporary literary scholars use to describe ways in which various texts refer to or play off of each other. Often writers do this without explicitly indicating it. In such cases, only fairly sophisticated, or at least well-informed, readers will notice. But it isn't always subtle. To choose an example, essentially at random, a 2012 book by Satinder Dimon was titled Seven Habits of Highly Fulfilled People, alluding unmistakably to Stephen Covey's famous 1989 bestseller, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Sometimes, though not always, subsequent authors hope that their audiences will have prior texts in mind as they read. The Book of Mormon contains numerous such examples, and probably quite a few remain to be discovered. Perhaps I may suggest two additional illustrations here. The first involves the famous passage in which Alma the Younger expresses his yearning to reach all humanity with the message of the gospel. Oh, that I were an angel, and could have the wish of mine heart, that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God, with a voice to shake the earth, and cry repentance unto every people. Yea, I would declare unto every soul, as with the voice of thunder, repentance, and the plan of redemption, that they should repent and come unto our God, that there might not be more sorrow upon all the face of the earth." Alma's expression of his desire seems plainly based upon his own personal conversion experience, in which an angel appeared to him, who, quote, spake as it were with a voice of thunder, which caused the earth to shake, and who summoned him to repentance. Again, quoting, doth not my voice shake the earth? The angel asked rhetorically, he spake unto us as if it were the voice of thunder, and the whole earth did tremble beneath our feet. In fact, Alma felt guilty about his desire for an angelic voice. If God had willed such a thing, he realized, it would be so. That it isn't typically the case is clear evidence that God doesn't wish to convince us by means of dramatic special effects. The second proposed example suggests a reliance upon the Old Testament story of Elijah, presumably available to the Nephites via the brass plates that Lehi brought with him from the Old World. John Sorensen, incidentally, has suggested on other grounds that the brass plates originated in the northern kingdom of Israel, where Elijah lived and prophesied. In the Old Testament's first book of Kings, 
we read of Elijah's experience in the wilderness, perhaps in the Sinai, or else across the Gulf of Aqaba in what is today Saudi Arabia, that, quoting, The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. Somehow the Lord was in that still small voice, and he was in it in a sense that he wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. Similarly, the account of the destructions in Third Nephi 8-11 through 11 tells of a great storm, a tempest, thunder, and whirlwinds, as well as of fire and of an earthquake that broke the rocks, ultimately followed by a small voice heralding the Savior's appearance. Such literary crafting suggests that its author wanted us to think while reading it of the story of Elijah. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And this is what it said. Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. Once again, in a very real sense, God was in that voice. Strikingly, though, the people, and remember that these were the more righteous among the Nephites, the wicked had died in the destructions that had just occurred, understood the voice only the third time. This is the manner in which revelation is typically given and received. While the scriptures distilling the experiences of prophets and apostles and saints of the millennia might seem to suggest that glorious manifestations are common with such people, that would be a misapprehension. As Elder Spencer W. Kimball put it just months before he unexpectedly became president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, quote, the burning bushes, the smoking mountains, the Camorras and the Kirtlands were realities, but they were the exceptions. The great volume of revelation came to Moses and to Joseph and comes to today's prophet in the less spectacular way, that of deep impressions, without spectacle or glamour or dramatic events. Always expecting the spectacular, many will miss entirely the constant flow of revealed communication. Unquote. Again, quoting, The Spirit does not get our attention by shouting or shaking us with a heavy hand, Elder Boyd K. Packer explained in 1983. Rather, it whispers. It caresses so gently that if we are preoccupied, we may not feel it at all. Sometimes, of course, revelation does come in spectacular ways. Immediately after the Nephites that gathered about the temple in Bountiful understood what that small voice was announcing to them, they were granted what surely ranks among the grandest Christophanies or appearances of Christ in human history. And it came to pass, as they understood, they cast their eyes up again towards heaven, 
and behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven, and he was clothed in a white robe, and he came down and stood in the midst of them. And the eyes of the whole multitude were turned upon him, and they durst not open their mouths, even one to another, and wist not what it meant, for they thought it was an angel that had appeared unto them. And it came to pass that he stretched forth his hand, and spake unto the people, saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. Several years after assuming the presidency of the church, Spencer W. Kimball again warned us not to ignore, downplay, or dismiss Revelation when it arrives quietly and without fanfare, while humbly but plainly bearing witness to his own calling. To wit, expecting the spectacular, one may not be fully alerted to the constant flow of revealed communication, I say in the deepest of humility, but also by the power and force of a burning testimony in my soul, that from the prophet of the restoration to the prophet of our own year, the communication line is unbroken, the authority is continuous, a light, brilliant and penetrating, continues to shine. The sound of the voice of the Lord is a continuous melody and a thunderous appeal. Thirteen months later, President Kimball received the revelation on the priesthood that is now commemorated in Official Declaration Number 2 in the Doctrine and Covenants. The late historian Leonard J. Arrington described the event as follows. Those in attendance said that as he began his earnest prayer, they suddenly realized that it was not Kimball's prayer, but the Lord speaking through him. A revelation was being declared. Kimball himself realized that the words were not his, but the Lord's. During that prayer, some of the twelve, at least two who have said so publicly, were transported into a celestial atmosphere, saw a divine presence, and the figures of former presidents of the church, smiling to indicate their approval and sanction. Others acknowledged the voice of the Lord coming, as with the prophet Elijah, through the still, small voice. The voice of the Spirit followed their earnest search for wisdom and understanding. At the end of the heavenly manifestation, Kimball, weeping for joy, confronted the other members of the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve, many of them also sobbing, and asked if they sustained this heavenly instruction. Embracing, all nodded vigorously and jubilantly their sanction. There had been a startling and commanding revelation from God, an ineffable experience. Two of the apostles present described the experience as a day of Pentecost, similar to the one in the Kirtland Temple on April 6, 1836, the day of its dedication. They saw a heavenly personage and heard heavenly music, to the temple-clothed members, the gathering, incredible and without compare, was the greatest singular event of their lives. Those I talked to wept as they spoke of it. All were certain they had witnessed a revelation from God. Spectacular revelations may come in the Lord's due time to those who demonstrate their willingness to follow 
the small voice of the Spirit. One of the missions of the Interpreter Foundation is to take canonized revelation, whether its origins are spectacular or to be found in the merest divine whisper, with thoughtful, reflective, and scholarly seriousness. This has been a recording of The Small Voice by Daniel C. Peterson, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 22, 2016, read by Richard Fligger. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.